Hey, before we jump into this episode, I want to direct your attention to our Nothing is Wasted community groups. We started this platform because we were hearing from so many different people about how they were walking their valley or their pain journey alone. And they were reaching out, asking questions, wanting some advice, wanting some direction. And so we decided to start a platform for people to be able to walk with other people who are walking through the same type of valley as them. I know when I lost my late wife, Amanda, I wanted to talk to somebody else who had lost their spouse at a young age. I wanted to know there was life and hope on the other side of it. I wanted somebody else to give me advice and counsel on how to raise my son as a single dad, how to continue to move forward and heal and and, and maybe have a meaningful marriage again. I needed that hope and that guidance. And that's why we created Nothing Is Wasted Community Groups, so that you don't have to walk your valley alone. There are all kinds of people from all different walks of life, all different types of pain who have joined on these groups, a couple hundred of you so far. And we have groups for just about every type of valley that you could be walking through. We have groups for folks who have gotten a cancer diagnosis or, or caretakers of people who have gotten a cancer diagnosis. We have groups for folks who have lost young children or adult children who have lost a sibling, who have lost a spouse. We have groups for those who have gone through childhood trauma. We have groups for those who have been divorced, uh, who are struggling with marriage and infertility, who've lost a parent, survivors of sexual assault, or even for parents who are parenting kids with special needs and so many other groups. We're consistently adding more groups and more guides to these groups. You see, each group is equipped with one or more guides who are just a little bit further along in the journey as you, who are there to help facilitate the conversation and help to give you some encouragement and direction as you're moving forward through your pain. If you're interested in joining one of these Nothing Is Wasted community groups, just go to nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash community groups. And we'd love for you to join in on the conversation. We'd love to be a part of your journey and help you as you're living, learning, and leading through pain. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, I'm your host, and joining me for the entire month of May, our guest co-host, Carissa Sprinkle. Carissa, it is so good to have you on the podcast with me. Hello, hello. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited because we've got several episodes that we're going to be able to uh, kind of bookend and spend some time hanging out together. Our listeners are going to get to know you more. And if you have not gotten to know Carissa and her husband, Cameron, you can go listen to their episodes 79 and 80. It was so great, so Mm -hmm. rich that we actually broke broke it out into two episodes. It was such a great conversation. Unbelievable conversation. And unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we're having to have this conversation across Zoom. Our conversation (laughs) that we had when you guys shared your story was in our podcast studio here at my house. And it was um, unbelievable. One of those conversations that it, uh, you feel the, the, the pervasive presence of the Holy Spirit, the entire conversation. We were in awe as you guys shared your story. It really was. 
Yeah, so, you had great questions, and it was such a, a rich time. I think we could have gone on for probably several more hours. But <laughs> I, I know. So make sure that if you haven't listened to Carissa and Cameron's episodes, episodes 79 and 80, and that's in our Sexual Betrayal series. That actually, Carissa, we were just looking at the numbers um, for our podcast, and uh, your episodes are in the top 10 of our all-time most listened to episodes. So um, Man, both of them. That's just yeah. Crazy. Both of them. So crazy. just really, really cool. I want to make sure everybody goes and listen yeah. to that. But you're also a community group guide for us uh, for yes. a couple of groups. We've launched our community yes. groups a couple of weeks ago, and you are one of those pioneering members of the the group, the guides, and you're leading a group for infertility and sexual betrayal for women. And uh, mm-hmm. you also have just an incredible... Uh, I don't want to call it a rap sheet. That's the first one that came to my mind as a rap sheet. That's not the right word. What yeah, a great just arsenal of talent that you bring as well to the equation. Just, you're a photographer, a mom, a blogger, um, and uh, and you're just doing incredible stuff. And so I'm passionate just about thrilled. a lot of things, I guess. Yes, I'm thrilled to have you on with me. Thank it's you. It's awesome. And we're, I'm excited. We're heading into Mother's Day this weekend. Um, and so happy Mother's Day to you. Um, you have a yes, daughter. Yes, thank you. Right. Thank What's you. your daughter's She's name? Three. My daughter's name is Scarlett. Scarlett oh, Faith. I love that name. Oh, I love that name. That's yeah, so Sprinkle Scarly is what she called herself. <laughs> Her last well, name is Sprinkle. So Sprinkle Scarly. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Well, I dropped off the microphone on your door, your doorstep, and she opened up the door and she waved. It was so cute. I was uh, just a doll. She's like, somebody's here. A package. She's obsessed with packages. She's, like, she's, she's obsessed with mail. Oh and I'm gosh. like, usually I'm like, it's just the Amazon guy. Don't open the door. You just don't know. Just stop. <laughs> the doorbell rings. I'm like, you don't have to get that. <laughs> I probably look like a it. creepy Amazon guy. No, she was very excited. She didn't know what it was. She didn't care. She was just excited. But oh. yes, very excited for Mother's Day. Um, That's so sweet. Anything, anything I get, I am just delighted. If she draws me a picture, I think I'll just be, that is all I need. She's I'm, at that age then, I bet, of just drawing pictures. Yes. Our kids are always constantly drawing pictures, writing us notes. It's the yes. sweetest thing, sweetest yes. thing in the world. You know, I thought it would be really apropos of us to talk a little bit about Mother's Day, um, especially since you and your husband went through a season of infertility. And one of the things I know from, you know, being a, a local church pastor for a while where we would sit in meetings and we would brainstorm about content, Mother's Day was always a big day. It's always a big day. It's like a second Easter, it seems, mm-hmm. where, where there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people at church. And so we would brainstorm about what should we do for yes. moms? And we would always have in the back of our mind, wait, how do we make sure that one, we are honoring moms, but also being sensitive to those who desire to be a mom, but for whatever reason mm-hmm. are not able to right now. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that and how, do you remember times where you guys were navigating that season of infertility and you know w- what that was like to experience Mother's Days um, as, you were, as, as you guys were feeling the loss, yes. so to speak, of that? Yeah, very well. It's it's actually kind of a bittersweet day if I had to describe it because it's super, super sweet now. And I think I can appreciate it on a level I'd never thought I would. But it also um, was a day that was just super, super painful. I mean, I remember def- different Sundays going to church and literally I'd kind of sneak in late and sneak out early because it was so... Um, I didn't even have the capacity to talk to people after church or Mm. to watch people taking pictures. And it was just, it triggered all my emotions and was super, super heavy. And so um, my heart is heavy for women, even this year, and especially now as we're all 
quarantined and Mm -hmm. going through this pandemic we never thought we'd ever face in Mm -hmm. our day and time. And I just know there were so many women who were getting ready to go through IVF cycles. We went through four IVF cycles to have our daughter and Mm. so many of those got canceled even mid cycle. And so I just know there's women who maybe would have gotten a positive pregnancy test by mother's day and all their plans are delayed. And when you're in the middle of infertility, it is, um, it already feels like an eternity. So even Mm. delaying several more months feels just kind of hopeless someday. So my Mm. heart is heavy for them still. It probably will be forever. Um, Mm. but there's also a lot to celebrate, including all the moms who are at home quarantined with their kids Mm. and going through, such an intense season as well, doing e-learning and trying to find all the ways to keep their children busy. And yeah. so it's both. I'm, yeah. I'm super happy for those moms. Um, and we celebrate hard and I definitely share the sorrow of what yeah. this day can be for a lot of people, especially but right now. I think this, this season, this day, Mother's Day, you know, as well as layered on top of it, this whole, you know, sheltering in place, stay at home order, um, I think it's created a lot of complications and created even more of this comparison trap that can take place as people are looking at other people's lives and kind of wishing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think this also begins to cause um, discontentment to be unearthed. Places maybe you yes. thought that you were content, but you were you're actually just you're hiding it with with being distracted by things. And so this mm-hmm. kind of a season uh, and a setting in the context that we're in can really unearth some of that stuff and ha- cause us to reevaluate and go, am I really content with the mm-hmm. season that I'm in right now? Mm-hmm. And and when it comes to being content, like, am I still, you know, it's so hard to like wrestle with that, like, okay, Lord, I'm accepting what's going on in my life right now. And yet at the same time, I'm not satisfied. I want and desire something else. I have a dream for something else. And so it It's hard to find that balance, especially in seasons like this. It is. It's being really challenged right now, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we uh, we obviously want to we want to acknowledge the fact that uh, COVID and and coronavirus is is changed the landscape of everything going on in the world right now. At the time of recording this, we have no idea what potentially could have happened this week because we record this just a little bit um, earlier than what when what you're listening to it. So if something has drastically changed and we're not acknowledging it, I want you to know that it's because we recorded this early. Uh, but um, it, we, we also wanted to respond to this as a ministry. And so we had the first two weeks of this stay-at-home order. We had some live streams that we did, and we are now going to be offering those on our podcast so uh, as of this, uh, when you're listening to this, those released this past Monday, just in a little series um, to, called the COVID-19 Livestream Series. And so you can listen to those and hopefully that will uh, help you and encourage you as you're kind of navigating the stuff that's going on with COVID-19. So, uh, but today we have an incredible interview. Uh, Mike Donahue, it's going to be, uh, uh, yes, you're going to so love good. it. It's going to be awesome. But Carissa, I think... You've got a review that you want to read before we dive into this interview. I do, and it's actually my own. Ah. Um, I have been listening to this podcast for Carissa, almost three years. Hold on a second. You and did I that hear all the time. because last time I put Maria Hatch Bowersock on the spot, you didn't did. you? And you were like, you know what? Thanks, I'm just going to write a review. And read Thank it. you. <laughs> 
You did. And I've listened to the stop right now, go review the podcast. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it at the end. Okay. I'm just kind of involved right now. I'm in the mode. And yep, I put it on my list and I finally did it. So I will read um, my review. I just said, I started listening to this podcast in the very beginning when it started and I have loved it ever since. When it first began, I was in the middle of navigating my husband's recent confession of his pornography addiction and affair, and my world was spinning. I felt so alone, embarrassed, and isolated from many of my friends during that time as they couldn't fathom what we were going through. The stories on this podcast made me feel understood and seen in my trauma, and they gave me hope that full healing was possible and that God still had a great plan for my life and for our marriage. Thankfully, my husband chose to dive headfirst into recovery, and after two and a half years, we actually got to share our betrayal story on the podcast with Davey. It was a full circle healing moment for me, and I am incredibly thankful to Davey, his team, and every person who has courageously and obediently shared their story on his podcast. God has beautifully used those testimonies of healing and redemption as a powerful tool to redeem my own broken story and the stories of countless others. So I share all of that because it Mm -hmm. really brings awareness to the podcast and it was a super powerful tool for me. And I know I'm not the only one dealing with stories like betrayal and addiction and just devastation and tragedy. Mm -hmm. And so if you can stop and leave a review, don't be like me and wait till the end. Just do it now real fast because otherwise it'll be three years later and still won't have done it. So, um, and, uh, go over to Instagram and like our page on Instagram. Nothing is wasted ministries. Um, if anything sticks out to you, that's just such a great place to share with other people. What, what really meant something to you. It's encouraging for us to read and it just helps spread the word and get it out there to the people who really need to hear it. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you for that review, Carissa. That was amazing. Awesome. Yeah. You're that was welcome. like a, better that late was, than never. That was like right? thorough. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm thorough. So uh, hey. I love it. I love it. Well, you're an Enneagram one, so of course you're thorough. Yep. yep and yep. I have no idea so what true. this actually I do know the Enneagram type of our interviewee today, and that is uh, Mike Donahue. He is a four. I think. I think we talked about it. I think as I'm recalling, I think we talked about it. it. Sounds like it. I'm married like to a four, four, so it sounds like it. He might it, not be. He might listen to this and be like, I'm not, not a four be. at all. You know, not uh, every musician has to be a four. <laughs> Right? Well, we that. just presuppose it because he's a singer-songwriter and uh, right. guitarist for the, a talented uh, one at that. 10th Avenue North just released a book in August 2019 called, get this, make sure, make sure you get this, Finding God's Life for My Will. Don't mix okay. it up because I did. I mixed it up when I asked <laughs> him about it. I was like, hey, tell me about this book that you wrote, Finding God's Will for My Life. Because, of course, that's what everybody asks, and he intentionally uh, reverses, switches around the order of this. So we talk about this. We talk about this, how to find God's life for my will rather than will for my life. And so why don't you guys lean in and listen to this conversation I have with Mike Donahue. Mike, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. It is just an honor. Thanks for having me. Right now, you're backstage at a show, and uh, you have graciously allotted some time to to hang out with us and and chat with our listeners. So I appreciate that so much. And you're in Kansas City right now. Is that right? That's the truth, bro. <laughs> so someone might be listening to this. They may, might be like, I was at that show 
when and now you know there it is this was right before the show he was hanging out with us mike you've written this book uh called finding god's will for your life and i love the topic of this conversation because uh just just the other day i got an email in our ministry that somebody was asking that very question that's probably the question i get most often as a pastor is what is God's will for my life. I'm sure growing up, you know, you grew up in the church, I grew up in the church. We we often were struggling through this. Can you talk to me a little bit about the impetus behind this book? What was the inspiration behind writing this? Yeah, and I, and I don't want to correct you right off the top, but my book isn't called Finding God's Will for My Life. It's called Finding God's Life for My Will. Oh. Yeah. It's called Finding God's <laughs> Life for My Will. Wow. Josh, I actually like, like that you said it right uh, because that's the point. Right there. Well, the point is we say these phrases so much right. that we actually don't even realize what we're saying. Right. And that's why I called the book what I call it because when someone asks, hey, what's God's will for my life, at least for me, they don't mean what scripture has to say on the topic. Yeah. Scripture is really clear on it. Like First Thessalonians 5, be joyful, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for your life. First Thessalonians 4, flee sexual immorality. This is God's will for your life. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. But that's not what people are asking when they're asking, what's God's will for my life? They're not asking about where is my heart and am I bitter and am I grateful and am I praying? When they ask, what's God's will for my life? They're going, what is the plan, God? Give me the plan. (laughs) And I started writing this book because as like a quote unquote Christian celebrity, people really think I figured it out and they'll come up to me and they'll say, how did you know that playing music, how did you know that this band was God's will for your life? (laughs) Expecting me to go, Oh, there was this light that shone down and I heard the voice of God. And it was, and he said, 10th Avenue North shall be my will for your life. That never happened. Mm. Um, And so I say to them, I don't know if this is God's will for my life. And they, and they, you know, they scrunch their face like, what? I go, no. Um, but uh, I love music and I love helping people with it. And so until God tells me to stop, I think that's enough to know to follow what I'm passionate about. Mm. Um, and so finding God's will for your life is fairly easy, I would actually argue. It's letting his life come and change your will. That's a lifelong process. Because hmm. what if the very thing you're passionate about is really selfish and not helpful? Wow. Then you have to let him change you. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm sitting here looking at your book cover, and I don't know if it is it's just one of those things where you like, just like what you said, you hear these phrases so often. It's like now you just told me the title of the book and all of a sudden the orientation of your book just totally changed on my eyes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is what it says. Because we're so accustomed to re- to hearing what is God's will for my life, you know? And I mean, there's there's oftentimes, and maybe, you know, maybe you can speak to this on how these two things reconcile, but there are times where people will 
will will say or attribute, well, I feel like God told me to do this, or I feel like God's leading me to do this. And it seems like there's some directional things sometimes that God leads us into or leads us out of or opens doors or closes doors. So, so how do you, you know, how do you reconcile those two things in terms of, you know, this, this pursuit of God's, you know, will, or you're kind of discouraging that more of a pursuit of God's life for your will and those times that God seems to be speaking clearly to you about certain things? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So here's the most annoying thing that I've realized about God. Uh, well, one of the most annoying things, because if I'm honest, I'm annoyed by God because he's always trying to change me. <laughs> and <laughs> the way that he chooses to change me is he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm. Okay. That verse haunts me. Because in order to exude faith, what do I need? I need to not have all the answers. Mm -hmm. If I have all the answers, then I can't have faith. There's this great, um, there's an old singer-songwriter named David Wilcox. And he says, he's got this song called Hold It Up to the Light. And he's praying about a decision like two roads diverged in wood. Which road are you going to take, right? Yeah. And he says, oh God. Would you bless this decision? I'm scared. It's my life at stake. But, oh, God, if you gave me a vision, I would never have reason to use my faith. Mm. And it's been my experience. Like, if God's after faith from me and trust in me and intimacy with me, then in order to do that, he has to lead me through the dark. Mm. And otherwise, it's just naive, like, certainty, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know why God is like this, but he seems really bent on not giving us interstate roads when it comes to our faith. Mm-hmm. But he's really interested in this meandering path along the cliffs where we have to grip his hand very tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, or a fun way to say that is... You know, I want all the plans for my life. Like I want God to put me in a Tesla and type in the directions and then like hit and go. And then I just sit back and cruise. But God, it's been my experience at least. And when I look at scripture, it seems this way. It says, your word is a lamp unto my path, right? Or a lamp unto my feet. Mm -hmm. A lamp to my feet, not a floodlight to my interstate. Mm-hmm. So I want God to put me in a Tesla and he wants to be the friend sitting in the passenger seat with the printed out map quest directions. And he doesn't tell me the next direction until it's almost too late. Yeah. And I'm like, We're right now. Ah! And I go, God, just give me all the steps. And he said, if I gave you all the steps, you would stop listening to my voice. Mm. At the end of the day, I really have to believe that God wants intimacy with me more than he wants success from me. Mm. But we live in a culture where our worth is not contingent upon the intimacy and the joy and the peace and the patience and the integrity with which we live. It's the numbers and the sales and the followers and the hype and the charts. It's, it's, Give me measurable success. 
And God is so much more interested in the imperceptible success because mm. he's actually out of their hearts. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm sure, you know, as you're, you, you've been around the Nashville scene a while, you've been around a lot of different musicians, both Christian musicians and not Christian musicians. Um, you've probably seen this play out in people's life where there's this exterior uh, projection of success or appearance of success and yet an interior um, implosion that's going on in people's character. As you're, as you're looking at that, even from an observer, but also as a participator in kind of that scene that's constantly stimulating this idea of like promote, succeed, numbers, all of that stuff. Uh, what are the things that you pay attention to, the habits that you form, the things that you're doing to try to make sure that you're paying more attention to your 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 inner character than you are externally? Because I'm sure it can be easy to just get caught up in that whole rat race in the scene that you guys are in. Yeah. And, and man, I don't think it's anything unique to my scene. Mm. I think it's a little more visible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a little more obvious uh, when you're going, look at me and my chart <laughs> and look at how my song's doing. Yeah, that's more obvious. Um, but I know plenty of pastors mm -hmm. who are just as um, obsessed with how many people come to their church. Yeah. As opposed to how many people in their city are coming to know Jesus. Mm. Um. Like, so for me, so here's a really helpful uh, thing I write about in the book is uh, a couple of years ago, I stopped asking God to use me. Uh, you're like, wait, what? That did, <laughs> wait a minute. That's, that's the prayer we always pray. Like, God, use me. Please use me. Yeah. And then look, my book, there's a reason my face on the cover is turned sideways because <laughs> I want to take these phrases and just help you look at them from a different angle. Yeah. Right. And one of those is God used me, God used me, God used me, God used me. That's why I need to know God's will for my life because I need to be used in the greatest capacity, expand my territory, expand my influence, right? Yeah. Make, let me do as much for the kingdom as I possibly can. The problem with that prayer is very quickly being loved by God is no longer enough. Mm. And being used by God is more important than being known by him. Wow. So when it, this happened for me years ago, first time we were doing a big festival and some of my heroes were playing before me, right? Like, and I'm just hyped up. And up to that point, we had always prayed, God, use our band, use our band, use mm -hmm. our band. Great prayer, right? Well, God taps me on the shoulder and he goes, hey, uh, what if I want to use the other bands, Mike? Mm -hmm. And I go, uh, use me more? <laughs> And, yeah, that's great. Just, yeah, just use me more. <laughs> and how many, like how many churches, how many businesses mm -hmm. are, the way we measure how good it is, is how much it's doing. Right. Not how is it doing what it's doing or why is it doing what it's doing? Right. And so now I go, still do festivals. We still pray, but we go, hey, God. We are available to be used, but you don't have to use us. We would love to be used, but the most important thing tonight is that you would just move. Mm. Use any of the other bands. 
we're available where we want to be useful, but we don't need to be used. Hmm. And so then when God uses someone else, when God uses another artist, or if you're a pastor, God uses another church, hmm. or if you're a businessman, God seems to be elevating another business. You're not rotting away with jealousy and bitterness, but you actually can applaud yeah. and go, way to go, God. And then you actually get joy. And that's, that's really what you're after to begin with anyway. Mm. That's great. I, I'm sure that as you begin to develop this kind of like, I'm almost, I mean, new philosophy on finding God's will for your life, you probably didn't do it in a vacuum. It, it, it probably took God taking you through some difficulties and challenges. And as you talked about earlier, leading you through the dark Yes. Can you talk about some of those circumstances that kind of helped you to formulate this idea around what it looks like to pursue after God's will in a new way? Yeah. I mean, I haven't been through nearly as dark of seasons as other people. I mean, like your story, you uh, share with me. I go, I don't know darkness that deep. Um, but I do think God allows all of us to go through darkness. Um, because as John Foreman from Switchfoot says, right, the shadow proves the sunshine, mm -hmm. right? And um, for me, it was the way I first got into music. I was a senior in high school before I ever picked up a guitar. And my buddy and I were driving to school. This is chapter three of my book. It's called When Dreams Die. He catches the edge of the road. We flip five times going 50 miles an hour. I got thrown out of the car bloody mess on the pavement, broke my face. You can actually see a scar right oh, wow. here. Uh, my ear got ripped off. My back was broken in two places, flatlined five times on the way to the hospital. You know, they didn't think I was going to make it. And a week later, I get sent home from the ICU, still with a fractured back and, they, and a fractured face. And they said, you know, you can't move for two months. And so I went home and I laid on my back and that's the first time I asked for a guitar. Mm. And I can honestly say, if I hadn't been broken, I was really into sports. I never would have slowed down enough to learn a, an instrument. Mm. And so, and it's funny because I was so mad. I was so, you would have thought I was just so happy to be alive, you know, naked baby cherubim and sprinkle dust, high five and unicorns. I'm just so, <laughs> so happy. But I was just angry. I was angry at God for letting this happen to me my senior year. Our, our soccer team was first in the state. Mm. Like we were, you know, 17 and 0. And how could you ruin what I thought my life was going to be? Mm. And yet God was um, allowing darkness to paint a more full painting with my life, you know? Mm. So for me, it was trusting God is still good. Even when the dream I had is shattered in pieces on the ground. Mm. It's interesting, like how it seems that that seems to be a, a, a frequent thing that happens in people's stories where, you know, as, as we sit and talk to people about their stories, we hear this common thread of, you know, I was pursuing this or I was chasing this, or this was a dream I had. And then, circumstantially he, something happened and it totally it pivoted the direction of my life. You know, it, 
And it's interesting when you line, when you like lay that over this idea that you're like bringing to the table of pursuing after God rather than pursuing after God's will. Because oftentimes when we pursue after God's will, we're really just asking him to bless what we want to do. (laughs) But if we pursue after him and his presence, then whatever pivots or interruptions or, you know, uh, detours that happen in our life, we can see a fruitful thing come out of it because we're just following after him. We can find joy in that. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, so in my book, I also talk about how, um, like people need to stop trying to be leaders. Uh, uh, unpack that like, one for me. <laughs> We're in a leadership well, what culture. Just, what you just said, <laughs> where's the joy yeah. in constructing, this is the plan and God, you have to bless it or right. in simply following mm. Jesus. And one of the, the issues I had, I worked at a church and we, we had leadership conference after leadership conference. Right. I mean, John Maxwell worked at my church. Wow. So, I mean, to say I heard about leadership is a gross understatement. <laughs> and, and that's fine. Leadership is fine, but don't tell me Jesus wants me to be a leader. Mm. Because when I read the Gospels, I can't find a single instance when he asks anyone to be a leader. Hmm. It never happens. He says, come follow me. And people have gone, I've, I've you know, brought this idea up and people go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. he asked Peter to lead the church. I said, no, he didn't. No, nope. He didn't say, Peter, lead my sheep. He said, Peter, feed my mm. sheep. And feeding a sheep looks a whole lot different than leading a bunch of sheep. Yeah. You know, it means you're going to get dirty. It means you're going to smell like the sheep. Yeah. And, and th- this is the best way to say it. St. Augustine said, a man can be no good leader if he loves his title more than his task. So Augustine says, you have to love the thing God has given you to do more than the notoriety and the title that comes with it. And it's been my experience that a lot of people seeking to lead are seeking the notoriety and the power and the fame. Mm. And what's ironic is, because I, I wanted to be famous when I was, 16, I want to be a famous actor. I was theater major in college, and I really thought that's what God wanted. And it's taken me a long time to realize that God gave me exactly what I wanted by not giving me what I wanted. Mm. So when I prayed, God, make me famous, he goes, hey, so you're asking to be famous. This is the way it looks to you. But when you're asking that, what you're actually asking for is to be known and loved. Hmm. And so I'm actually going to keep you from being as famous as you think you should be, because that will actually keep you from the thing you really want out of being famous. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And so some of us were like, Hey, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. And God's going, you need to quit worrying about, what people see you as is mm. that's actually getting in the way. What you really want when you say you want to be a leader is you want to be a part of what I'm doing, building my kingdom on the earth. Yeah. And that actually doesn't require any leadership skill at all. Mm. It just requires a radical trust to say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what it looks like. 
Wow. And what I've, what I've realized, I have a whole chapter called the ministry of interruption. It's been my experience that the very, the, the moments of what seems to be the most incredible ministry in my life have always been moments that first started out looking like just an interruption. Mm. And I tell this story about this, this, uh, kid who is, um, uh, mentally handicapped in some way. I'm not, not sure, but it turned into this crazy basketball game and I, I won't go into the whole thing, but it was insane. I almost missed this moment simply because it's like, well, hanging out with this kid that doesn't offer me any more social media followers. It doesn't offer me any power. And what's really scary when we think about it, right? Cause you, you kind of ask the question, like, what, is, what is it that all these people who come on my podcast, they have this story of, they go through these dark seasons and right. God uses that. Right. Well, it's because at the center of our faith is the cross. Mm. That's terror. That should be terrifying to people. Yeah. Who, who go, yeah, I want to be into this Jesus thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's also so beautiful because yeah. we above anyone have hope, even in the absolute grossest, most horrific moments, because we go, if God can work beauty out of Jesus's death on the cross, mm-hmm. then certainly he can make something beautiful out of the shattered pieces of my life. Right. Cause that's what he does. And in the same way, the way of Jesus is not one of amassing more power and more power and more influence and more fame and more money. If you look at Jesus, the way of Jesus is to follow him in taking off your power, Mm -hmm. right? Taking off your reputation, like being willing to associate with people that are harmful for your brand. That's what Jesus taught me. Right. You know, so anyway, I started riffing there. Oh, I love it. I love it. Hey, friends, I'm just going to take a second to point you to our May bonus episode that you will not want to miss. It's with Terry Wardle, who was featured in episode 96. In this bonus episode, we take a deeper dive into this concept of inner healing because Terry daily equips thousands of professionals, counselors, pastors, physicians, and lay leaders to help hurting people experience, and and I emphasize experience, not just theorize, healing in Christ. To hear Terry's bonus episode and more amazing resource-filled bonus content, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. To gain access, sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a preview of my conversation with Terry now. Many of us would like to believe that if something happened a long time ago, it's over with and done with, and we're moving on in life. But that's actually, it's not true spiritually. It's not true psychologically, and it's certainly not true emotionally. When we've had an emotional rupture, whether we were four years old or 40 years old, if that rupture doesn't experience repair, 
it begins to have a very negative impact on the way we view life. Not just the way we view life, the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, and the way we view other people. You kind of write about this as well in the book, but you guys had a a season where you were putting some of this to practice or you had to make an adjustment uh, in terms of stepping away from the road and spending more time with family. You had a big meeting with your families. Can you talk about that and what was the decision behind that? Because that's, that's kind of anti the, the world that you live in, especially um, that says get out there and be seen and be known. Oh, man. And it's still happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still having radical conversations and – one of my greatest mentors, he, he was um, a college pastor with Francis Chan. Mm-hmm. And he went up to Portland and started planning churches. And, and I'm getting to your question. But I just got off the phone with him the other day. And I'm like, how's it going, man? He goes, great. You know, we planted another church. So it's five churches. But they're each, you know, 300 members. And as soon as our church grows to 300 again, we're going to plan another one. And I go, oh, man, it sounds great. He goes, yeah, it's actually really hard. Hmm. Uh, he goes, building a mega church would be so much easier. Because hmm. every time we plant a new church, I have to lose all my best people. Yeah. Um, he goes, but the way of Jesus is one of giving away power, not of hoarding it. Wow. And empowering people, not in using people to gain power. Yeah. And... And one of the ways Jesus seems really bent on keeping that in front of me is going, hey, Mike, are you going to love your wife and kids more than the amount of fame and prestige your job can give you? Mm. And so, yeah, a couple of years ago, my wife came and said, you need to cut the number of shows you're doing in half. (laughs) And I said, we're going to eat half as many meals, but okay, let's do it. (laughs) And... And we did it. And you know what? It was hard. And people in our, in our company that we loved left. And, you know, they actually all got even better jobs, you could argue. <laughs> um, and I had to really grapple with the idea that I'm not, if there's any business owners out there, I understand the pain of going, man, if I do what's best for my family, I'm not going to provide for these people that work under me. Mm. And that feels wrong. Mm. And one of the things I've had to come to deal with is if I'm going to provide for my family, I have to also deal with the idea that God is their provider and God is my other band members provider Yeah, and our crew members provider. And that can be really difficult. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things, um, I heard a pastor one time named Crawford Loritz say that there's going to be three primary things as someone who's in ministry, um, three primary things that God uses as a sanctification tool for your life. One's your marriage, two are is parenting, and then three is your ministry. And I would have to imagine that the same is true in you know your particular type of ministry that you're doing, that this you know, this thing that God detoured your life into a long time ago after this car crash 
Now you're in ministry. It has now become a primary means of sanctification for your life. Can you talk to me about that? What, what are the things that have maybe some, even while you've been on the on the road, you've probably, you've mentioned some of them already, but what have been the biggest changes that have taken place in you, the biggest sanctifying things that have happened in you? Because the other thing too, is a lot of people look at like, they'll see you on stage or they'll see another, you know, musician on stage or something like, oh my gosh, the allure of that is amazing. It's wow. I want to be on that platform too. And you're like, there's a, there's a lot of crap that you have to go through as well. Um, it's not all that it looks and I'm walking through dark, difficult things, just like you are as well. There's nothing different about us. Everything is even at the cross. What are some of those things that have really changed you or sanctified you in this, uh, in this music career for you? Yeah. Uh, what the first thing that comes to mind and I write about in the book is that same summer when we first started doing festivals, I remember we played right before, uh, skillet <laughs> and, and I, and I think people think, oh, the festival, man, Look at there's so many more people cheering your name. So it must be even harder to deal with like arrogance and pride. And any other artist will tell you this if they're honest. We have an incredible ability to single out the person in the crowd that doesn't like our band. <laughs> we have 10,000 people in the audience and my eyes are going to fall on like the one kid who's just going <laughs> and and he's been you can tell he's been dragged there by his mother and uh playing right before skillet was, was a really really good humbling experience when we first uh got started because you know we're not nearly the same kind of band and they were very established lots of pyro lots of hard mm. rock and i remember the this first summer i'm playing this acoustic song and all these skillet fans are waiting for skillet to come out and they all start cheering and chanting skillet while I'm <laughs> in the middle of a song. Like, and I actually, I look back and I love it. I love that. I go, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter how many people like me. There's always going to be people who don't like me. <laughs> and being popular isn't going to be a big enough reason to keep doing this. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm, and probably the most sanctifying thing for me, because sanctifying, another way I would use the word sanctifying is clarifying. Mm. I, I don't know if that's even like a right biblical way to define it, but um, there's been some sanctifying, clarifying moments. And, and one of those was the first time we won a Dove Award. Is that the second? Okay. We won a Dove Award for Song of the Year. It's called By Your Side. And they hand me the Dove Award and, you know, I give this great speech and I'm feeling really good about how humble my speech was. I was like, man, I crushed humility right there as I hold this golden award. And I, I start walking backstage. This is not made up. The bottom of the award falls apart. The award falls into like four pieces in my hands. I don't know if they didn't glue it properly or what happened, but I, and I'm going, what on earth? And I turn this corner. Okay. And there's a girl who's like on a headset with a clipboard. She's pointing us to where we need to go next to this press room. And she looks down at the, the award and I'm like, I don't know. And she catches herself. And then she looks at me and she goes, Hey, I just need you to know when I was in college a couple of years ago, 
my roommate played me that song that you won that award for. And it was the first time I believed God loved me. Mm. And I just wanted to tell you that. And then they whisked me out. I had to go do it. And I'm going, thank you. But at that moment, mm. it was this clarifying moment of it really isn't about these awards. They fall mm. apart. Mm. You know, who won the Super Bowl three years ago? Well, it's probably the Patriots. But <laughs> like, it's so funny how you, you, it's so important in the moment, like winning and and being number one. But then next year comes around. You're like, wait, who won last year? I don't yeah. even know. Mm-hmm. And, but those moments of someone going, dude, God used that song to change my life. It's okay. One more story about that. Yeah. We're, we're on tour with mercy me last year. And I had written a song called covenant, which is about, it was actually based on a poem by Madeline Engel, because I'm sure there's people here listening to this podcast that are having a lot of trouble in their marriage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. if 50% end in divorce, then more than 50% experience a lot of trouble. Right. And there's this Madeline Engel poem. You know who she is? Yep. She mm-hmm. wrote uh, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time, yeah. Um, among other things. And she wrote this poem to her husband about... It was a love poem to her husband celebrating the fact that she was attracted to this other guy at a writer's retreat she was at. Hmm. And you're like, what? Okay. And she goes, yeah, I felt this. I forget what she used. I think it was spark or flutter. I felt this connection with this guy and we're talking. And then after the conference, everyone's going back to their hotel rooms and he walked me to my door and I felt all these things. But then he went on. And I went into my room and nothing happened. And she said, isn't that amazing? Because every time I feel that with someone else, but I choose us instead, it actually makes what we have stronger. Mm. And so I wrote this song with my guitarist called Covenant, where I basically say, hey, like, even if you feel something with somebody else, I'm going to trust the promise that we have Mm. and actually celebrate the fact that having feelings for someone else isn't going to send us away from each other. Yeah. And I would explain this every night, you know, and the crowd, I'm (laughs) like, it's, it's tough being married. Right. And I was like, yeah, I got four girls. Whoa. Having four girls is crazy. Yeah. You know, like, but I'm not praying for a boy because God gives girls to a family that already has a man. Oh, (laughs) and, But, you know, everybody knows marriage is hard. Yeah. And what's crazy about marriage? What? It's that you can still be attracted to other people other than your spouse. And it's like, Uh. (laughs) what? No, no. And I remember there was actually this guy on the crew who hated that song and he hated my setup. And he actually would lament and say, you can't say that. You (laughs) You can't talk about being attracted to other people. It's not Christian. But the first time we played it, two different couples go to the pastor at the church Mm. and they say, hey, we were about to get divorced, but we decided to go to counseling instead after listening to that song. Mm. And so you like in a way, being in this business for as long as I've been has taught me the principle of the 99 and the one Mm. is really true. Mm. And that if I only make music for the 99 I might actually be missing my calling because isn't that what we sort of started talking about? Mm -hmm. Man, Mike, 
this has been awesome. I appreciate the time that you've taken with us. And uh, again, just so our, our listeners are clear on this, the book is called Finding God's Life for My Will. Spun that one around. Nailed it. (laughs) Man, I do. I really appreciate the message that you're carrying with this, though, because, um, again, it's such an important topic. And, you know, I mean, I just, I love the, I think you turned the phrase in the book where you said that really it's um, God's presence that is his plan for our life. Or maybe that's like the subtitle of it, that that's really what we should be pursuing after. And then when we do, through bumps, detours, interruptions, whatever it is that he brings into our life, we're going to find that we're in the most satisfying place that we could ever be. And um, if you're living for something other than his presence, then heaven is going to be a serious mm, disappointment. That's it. That is so true. You're going to be like, wow. where, where are all the things I was living for? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's what, if you haven't read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, it's an unbelievable book. As an artist, where there's that part where the guy wants to go back into hell because yep. mm-hmm. he's an artist, mm-hmm. and he goes, "No, I'm I've been to heaven, and I just can't wait to go back and tell everybody what it's like." Mm. And the angel's going, "No, no, stay here." Mm-hmm. And he says, "There's some who fall in love with the telling about God more than God Himself." <sighs> and I think, especially for those of us in ministry, yeah. we are really always need to just keep checking up on our hearts. Like, is my doing what I'm doing for God more fascinating to me than God himself? That's so good. Wow. I want to know who the mastermind behind the Dove Awards was that decided to put these things together in a janky way to teach all of the musicians that won them a, le- a lesson that night. <laughs> I got I got to say, I got to say, nobody else had a, a trophy malfunction. Nobody had one. You know, that would have been a genius move, though. I was the <laughs> Oh, that'd have been genius, man. I really do appreciate the time that you took and backstage and while you're busy and all of that. But man, I just, I I appreciate the message that you're carrying. Thanks so much for what you're doing. And um, thanks for how you're doing it. It, It's really refreshing to, to experience someone like you who's, um, you know, you're making a big impact, but you're really focusing on, on the one, like you said. And, and just being in the center of God's will. So I appreciate the time that you're taking with us. Dude, my pleasure. Thanks for making time for me. Wow, I loved that. I think I just loved it because I, uh, in a different life, aspire to be a singer-songwriter coming out of Nashville, being in a Christian band <laughs> or something. That's great. That's a great. <laughs> maybe not a Christian, maybe, maybe just like a punk rock band or something. <laughs> Well, if you know what, if something goes south here, you can just try that. Hello, That'll be your backup plan. Yes, that'd be <laughs> <That's> so great. <laughs> yeah, it was so, so good. He had so many good points. I took a ton of notes while I was listening to the whole thing. Um, he hit on so many things that I relate to, mm-hmm. but one of the ones I related to the most right now was the ministry of interruption when he talked about mm-hmm. that. I think that was a chapter wow. in his book, he said. Yeah. But right now with quarantine, I mean, I just know... I know I'm not the only one who had plans and who had all of these things. My brother's getting married next month. And even for the blog, just different exciting things we were going to do, some places that we're going to speak at. And that has all just gotten put on hold. And it's just brought me to this place where I'm just asking different questions. And Mm. I know it's going to be 
a really good thing, but it also yeah. is hard. It's an interruption. It's yeah, a it can be so frustrating because if you're, I'm sure you're like me, I'm a planner. So, yes. you know, I've got my, I've got my full focus planner out this year, just started using it in January and I've mapped out my quarters, my floating quarters, all these yeah. things. I've got all these speaking engagements mapped out and then all of a sudden, boom, interruption. Mm-hmm. And we, we say this often, I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard this before, but what we see as an interruption to our life, God uses as an invitation into an even yes. greater life. And so it's really hard right now in the middle of it. You can be very frustrated, but it is a, there is a ministry of interruption and this is what we see with Jesus when he's going to heal Jairus's daughter and all of a sudden the, the woman with the mm-hmm. bleeding problem interrupts him. But what a powerful mm-hmm. thing that happens that Jesus, Jesus was going to Matthew 14 to, to go away and weep, you know, uh, and then he gets mm-hmm. interrupted by this crowd of 5,000 <laughs> plus people and all of a sudden, boom, the greatest recorded miracle. Uh, it's as almost far like as, he excels in yeah, that. That's just yeah. his, his means of how he does things is so opposite from how we do things with the mm. planning and the perfection and just, yeah, he completely takes it and spins it and so good. makes something. And he also said in that interview, if God can make something beautiful out of the death of Jesus on the cross, he can certainly <sighs> make something beautiful out of the shattered pieces of life. And wow. Wow. He does that in interruption, but he did that, you know, even when everything fell apart in my yeah. life. And yeah. it's absolutely true. It's all over the Bible. That That's was just, so good. Yeah. Beautiful. That's so good. Well, so our challenge to you would be lean into the interruption right now and, and ask God, what are you inviting me into? And we'll invite you uh, while you're at it to go and download and listen to or stream anything that Sleeping at Last does because anything. he's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Sleeping at Last, for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Uh, find them anywhere that music can be downloaded or streamed. And next week, we have um, a conversation with Luke Lazan. And it's a really good conversation. It's <laughs> like, so good. It was just one, another, yeah. Yeah, one great. where like, I get, we got to the end of the conversation, and I was like, oh my gosh. Like Only God could write this kind of a story. Amazing. Right? Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Yes. So I want you to listen to this little clip from my conversation next week with Luke Lazan. So uh, a couple of my friends and I, we were in Jerusalem, very, you know, chill to open up a sentence that way. And we were downtown <laughs> Jerusalem and it was like, it was a bad movie, man. It was, it was like a guy standing on a street corner. We were looking for food and we wanted more like American food. Right. And there's a guy standing on a street corner and this is like how you, how you end up like in a bad situation. He's like, Hey, we have a restaurant back here. If you guys want to follow me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm starving, <laughs> which at that moment, right? Like you're done for, and you know, what's terrible. So we, we follow this guy down into this back alley and there is a restaurant there, but it's so shady. And we ended up eating <laughs> there and I, we think everything's fine after that. Like whatever. Yeah. Um, but as I got back home and stuff, you know, um, my brother and I, we had been working out quite a bit. And so I started thinking I was like losing some weight and I thought, oh, this is good. I'm working out. But then I just kept losing weight. Hmm. And I actually spoke at an event and my wife saw someone that had tagged me in a photo and she said, something doesn't look right with you. I don't know what Hmm. it is like. And we started looking at older photos of me and in a non-flattering way, I was like extremely thin like looking thin in the face, looking like something was wrong. And we stepped on the scale. She like forced me onto the scale and I talk about it in the book. And I was down like 18 pounds from what I usually was. 